So I want to uh, share this morning something, again, I've never shared. I've made some observations recently that have really stirred this up in me. I want to ask you, what does it mean to be God-minded, to have him in the forefront of your thoughts, your motives, your mind? There is a, a book by Francis Schaeffer that's incredibly good. It's called uh, The God Who Is There. And if you need to intellectually understand that God has revealed himself in a multitude of diverse, creative ways through all of the centuries to really ground yourself intellectually on the fact that God is there. It is, it's a tremendous resource. God does reveal himself. But at the same time, God also hides himself. Proverbs 25.2 says it is the glory of God to conceal things, but it is the glory of kings to search things out. So this isn't a, a contradiction. There are times where God manifests himself, reveals himself, and then you have a choice how you're going to respond to that. There are other times where God is for whatever reason, and this is the part that gets me, why does God hide? Why does God conceal himself? And I know fundamentally it's because he wants us to pursue him. He doesn't want to dominate us. He doesn't want to intimidate us. He doesn't want to guilt and shame us. He wants us to turn our hearts toward him in openness and confidence that he's there. There, uh, in Genesis 4, is just a quick passage that really interests me. You know, uh, before there were Christians, before there were Jews, before there were really other people, uh, it says in those early days, the generations after Adam and Eve, they came to a point where it said there were those who called on the name of the Lord. They knew Adam and Eve had a relationship with God, that he was there, he was real, and they began to call out. They didn't wait for God to just show up and make them do something. They began to seek him so they might find him. And those are the people who begin the journey of faith, to just begin that walk. And so... I know Jesus can crash into your life uninvited and turn it upside down any time that he wants. And at that moment, the individual has a choice about how he's going to respond. Like Paul on the road to Damascus, like so many others, like times in my life I never saw it coming. Uh, this morning I was reminded of a very beautiful thing. I was at a men's retreat years ago and just really enjoying the presence in the community I was in. And and then the still small voice came and the Lord said to me, I called you, you didn't call me. And it shook the very foundation of my life. I began an exploration of what does that actually mean? Am I trying to get to God to respond to my stuff or am I responding to his? And then this morning, this morning, I was reading uh, John chapter 15, which we sang today about he's the vine and we're the branches. And, you know, right in there, in the middle of it, is the direct quote that I heard the Lord say to me personally, and I don't think I knew necessarily, I hadn't memorized that verse. And so to this morning I'm reading, and there it is. I called you. You didn't call me. And it absolutely blessed me, and it freaked me out. It's like, wow, 
how often do we hear scripture that we didn't even memorize and God can remind us of it? Now, I think I had previously read it, but I had received it as an encounter with him. So that was a time God crashed into my life. He invaded my life. Um, He was invited, but he wasn't necessarily inspected. But the point of today and being God-minded is God can fade away in your life to the point where you don't even know he's there. And, And that frightens me. God allows us to get so distracted to begin to focus on other things, to begin to think on other things, to become self-focused or issue-focused, circumstance-focused, instead of Jesus-focused. That he allows us to do it. And I have seen people of excellent character and amazing history and relationship who begin to just stop reading the word, stop praying, stop having conversations about applying faith and walking in faith and in life. And before you know it, they start growing spiritually cold. I've gone through seasons of being spiritually cold. And, and I think this season in particular is a unique challenge to grow us up, to learn how to self-feed, to no longer be blown around by circumstances, but to learn how to stay strong and to... See, the problem is if you're waiting for God to crash into your life, you can't control that. But if, on the other hand, you know that uh, we're in control of how and when we call on his name, when we seek him with our whole heart, we turn our thoughts on him, and we encounter his presence. That, every day, we can make that choice. And I welcome any intervention, any way God wants to just interrupt my life and speak into my life, and I, I, I live to hear his voice But I'm not responsible for when and how he does that. I am responsible for when and how I am seeking him. Oh, so I say all of that because if you want to see what it looks like to have the reduction of the influence of schools and church in a society, just look around right now. Because of legitimate reasons, I believe, because of a highly infectious disease, one of the outcomes has been we can't gather in school, we can't learn more about what it means to be right and have a fuller understanding of life, and we can't gather in community at church. And both of those areas are very much a civilizing, maturing element of our society. And we have been forced, for good reason, to have those radically changed. So how has isolation impacted the lives of many people around you? Think about it for a moment. What changes, what stress, what vulnerability to just having your own narrative, people who suffer from depression, who are isolated now, who, whose only way of really regulating themselves was by getting in a group and checking out their thoughts and sharing what they're going through and being there for each other. How has it affected all this isolation, the lives of others around us and affected us? Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. 
It's our desire to live in a cave. It's our desire to not be irritated by other people. It's our desire to step back and not engage. But the Spirit calls us into relationship with him. The Spirit calls us into deeper relationship with each other. And now we didn't isolate ourselves. In many ways, we have been forced to be isolated, which means we have to be even more intentional than ever at how we connect with each other in community and how we connect with God individually. So, Lori has some things to share, and I just want to frame this a little bit more, but I'm very excited to hear what she has. Um, I really see two areas that we need to be intentional about and focus on and that I believe were challenged for some pretty radical changes in how we do community. And this is not just something from this year. For some people say for the last 20 years, and I've been reading about it, and Graham Cook has a book um, on doing church differently. And, you know, for a long time, people have been dissatisfied with what their understanding or their experience of quote-unquote church life is. And, and I can appreciate that to a degree. If the only time that you gather with other believers once a week is in a church service, and especially if you don't come with a prepared heart, what you're going to do is you're going to observe a church service. And you're going to wonder, well, how good was the music? And did I really, how good was that message? And boy, I didn't see much ministry time. And you, you begin, anybody who becomes a spectator of faith becomes critical and cynical of faith. But also, you know, you realize, you know, I'm called to more than this. I'm not supposed to be living somebody else's faith. I'm not supposed to just be uh, following along blindly. And, and over the years, what? Over the years... I've observed people I've known for many years who get dissatisfied with drawing together, gathering as a community, and they then cut themselves off. They go, oh, that's it, you know, it's just too much of a sacrifice, and I, you know, I don't like shaving Sunday mornings, whatever. And they go, and over time, I've watched them. People I would have never expected, they grow spiritually cold because without knowing it, their primary place of spiritual feeding was actually that community. And they had no other plan in place. They just got dissatisfied with that and cut it off. And I've known believers who in just a matter of months began to question, is God there? Because when you stop thinking about him, he fades. He conceals himself because he wants people who are pursuing him out of their free will, out of love for him. And that's actually not a punishment. That's his blessing in our life. He's calling us to a mature, genuine relationship that we surrender ourselves willingly to. He has a very, very good purpose. You know, what God could make happen in his power. He could just manifest himself on the earth, say, I am real. All of you bow down. All of you worship me. And he could coerce us into being sons and daughters, but we wouldn't actually be sons and daughters then if he forced it. So that's why it's his glory to continually draw us and allow us to respond. So part of what's stirring so deeply in me is I, I love a phrase, I've shared it now a number of times, but Steve Backlin 
in one of his books, he said something that just captured my imagination and heart. He said, if you really want to be God-minded, he didn't use that term, but if you want to have a consistent, vital walk with the Lord, if you want to be responsible for that fire on the altar of how you burn for devotion and love for Jesus, you have to go to at least one Holy Spirit-empowered meeting a week. And by the way, I agree. You want to talk about a minimum standard once a week. Well, Miko a few weeks ago said, well, yeah, that's good, but I don't fully agree because it sounds institutional. It sounds like if you say it, what you're saying is you've got to go to church at least once a week. And, you know, I, I thought about that, and that isn't how I mean it at all. And by the way, I don't mean to be critical, but I've been to church services where it was not a Holy Spirit-empowered meeting. I've been to home groups in my own home where I was the home group leader, and it was not a Holy Spirit-empowered meeting. My desire would be for it to be. So we do the best that we can. But, man, we've got to find somewhere where we gather together and we acknowledge the presence of God. We open ourselves to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And, by the way, not just through a worship team, not just through a message, but actually through each other where the gifts that reside in us, the deposit of faith, the passion and heritage, the love that we have for each other is expressed through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I want that more and more. But my thinking was off because I was also thinking that happens during gatherings. Only, well, I have my opportunity for a Holy Spirit-empowered uh, meeting uh, at church or at a men's retreat or once in a while. And you know what I realized just more recently, and it is, it's stirring me so deeply. Wait, I don't want just that. I want a Holy Spirit-empowered encounter with the person right in front of me. This meeting, yes. But anyone I talk to today, I can raise my level of expectation to say, wait a minute, Holy Spirit, you want to speak truth into their life. You want them to be set apart for you. You want their heart drawn to you because of your kindness and your grace and your wisdom and what you're speaking through me and through others and into each other's lives. Lord, I want a Holy Spirit-empowered encounter every day, all the time, as much as possible. And so I miss our corporate gatherings. We need each other in each other's life. If we could just do it all by our little lonesome, then we could become self-sufficient and not dependent on him and not dependent on each other, and that is not relational. So it has to be expressed to community and through community, and it's going to change, but it's going to get better. God laughs at the intention and the purposes of the devil to isolate us, and he's like, yeah, but look, they're drawing together. They're pressing into me. We're going to come out of this a revitalized church with a greater heart for the community outside of the church than I believe we've ever had before. And then it comes down to what do you do for self-feeding? How do you personally, individually, without other people around, how do you take responsibility for your relationship with him? There's been a pattern. A number of pastors have talked to me. I've actually seen it to, with some also. Uh, we love Bethel Church. We love Bill Johnson, as you know. Um, and the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry is absolutely incredible. It's a three-year school, and people's lives are greatly impacted. And, man, we've had people come to our home group who went through the school who were so equipped for ministry that it was just prayer flowed, worship flowed, prophecy flowed. It was like, wow! You know, if we all came to our Holy Spirit-empowered gatherings equipped like that, 
we would blow the doors off the joint. We would be discipling each other and encouraging each other in a new capacity that maybe most of us haven't really seen. And I love that. But many students, after they leave the school, they go through an extremely hard time because they go return back to their quote-unquote normal lives and they leave that hothouse environment where you're surrounded by people who are already walking in that level of faith, where it's encouraged, where it's recognized, where it's um, inspired. And so, and I know Bethel School's already aware of this, and they're really going, okay, how do we prepare them for that reemergence where everyone around them isn't as excited about the kingdom as they were there? They have to learn to go beyond having other people feeding them, and they need to learn to self-feed. And so I've compared it to this. I've thought often of our community here at Abiding Place, of our gatherings. And you know what? It's like we're a college, and at school, there's a cafeteria for people who live on campus. And the cafeteria has a responsibility, and they have workers. And by the way, usually the cafeteria, compared to the staff, is relatively small staff compared to all, of course, all the students and and everything else. But that staff is responsible for planning, preparing, and serving, and cleaning up a well-balanced diet. And so there are people who have to specialize, focus, and go, okay, wait, I want the students to be healthy. I want them to enjoy their food. Uh, We're going to prepare it well. We're going to serve with excellence. You know, we're going to clean up after all of the mess. And so these college students have meals that are made for them, and they're focusing in a different area, but they haven't learned how to cook yet. So imagine a cafeteria of the kingdom where everybody is learning how to prepare well, how to um, plan well, how to serve well, and how to clean up well of a balanced diet of spiritual life of being in the word, of being in prayer, of, of being activated in your faith. Again, I love that passage that says that it is faith that working through love counts. And so if you're a spectator and, and faith is theoretical, it will not be engaging. But when you begin to step out and you say, no, no, I'm going to express, I'm going to act upon this faith that I have been shown, that I see in others, I want to learn how to feed myself. I don't want just somebody else always giving me the cafeteria food. I want to go beyond that. And so this is not actually meant to be a how-to message. This is more a message that I want to set a, uh, a challenge in front of us of being very mindful of having those Holy Spirit-empowered meetings and encounters, of looking for his presence in gathering with friends and family and in video chats. And and I, I want to challenge you to really get serious. How much during the, my normal day are my thoughts focused on the Lord? How much during my normal day are my desires and my motives motivated by what I think will bring Jesus joy? And you think, well, Sundays I sort of do that. But I believe we're called to a much higher plane, a different place where every day our lives are so immersed 
in our devotion to him, in our relationship with him, that he's ever-present in our minds, and we're wanting to hear his voice and wanting to yield to his promptings. And I believe the greatest weapon we have to be God-minded is an understanding and an openness to continually be filled in the Spirit. When, we, it, when God becomes a natural part of our thoughts and our daily life, I've known people where it feels forced and they're throwing verses and platitudes at me, but then I've talked with other people and the very flow of their life, the most natural thing for them, oh, you know what, the Lord just did this amazing thing in my life in that area and he was so kind to me and here's what he spoke. And they minister out of that true intimacy, that true relationship they have and it goes somewhere deep in your spirit. And so I want to read just... One thing, uh, I, I've prepared this whole message, and then, oh, no, 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 no. No, no, we're not. Lori's telling me we're out of time. So you know what? I'm not going to read this. I'll save this for the ending. Lori, no, you come, come, come hither. Lori, you said 10 minutes, so we have 10 minutes. This is how Lori and I fight, by the way. So um, this is actually, it says here, Lori is going to share how we can measure just how God-minded we are and what it looks like. Lori Gessler. I think I'm going to do something off the cuff here because my message is actually a message long. It's actually a, a, a whole service long. So, And Charlie did not do anything wrong. Let me just reiterate, Pastor Charlie did nothing wrong. It was all the Lord. He messed with me this morning. So my... The segue into what he's put on my heart, which I will need to talk about more later. By the way, I have no jokes, but I did dress so I could match my husband because on the way here I was thinking, or this morning, I was thinking, oh, we're supposed to do a message together. But he covered up his shirt with a sweater so you can't see that we're actually matching colors. Um, so I will just uh, give a simplified, um, to be detailed later message this morning. I did not wear any eye makeup this morning because I took a shower, and as I was in the shower, the Lord dropped this moment, this burning bush moment in my heart, and I just started boohooing. And I don't know how many of you know this, but um, yesterday... We had a memorial service here in the building. So it was a fairly packed week. We had the pantry in the morning yesterday, the deliver the distribution. And then <clears throat> and then in the afternoon was a memorial service for, for an incredible woman. Um, and I just want to give kudos to Miko and to my son Josh, who came and helped do the the technological part of the service to um, give my husband a little bit of take the burden off of his shoulders and he could be there for the family. But it was it's a hard week because the family that the memorial service was for was somebody that we knew. I mean, we've been friends for a really long time. And so the thing that stood out to me about this memorial service was um, even something that Charlie said, but uh, the reason he said it was because this woman was known by her love. And 
was known and lifted up by each of her grandkids in this place, telling stories about how much she loved. And she had many sons and daughters that weren't a part of her blood family or blood relatives that um, thought of Anne. She loved me. She supported me. Supported me. She was so generous. She didn't know me, but she just gave. And so I was thinking about that, and then I thought about another story that I had heard in the shower this morning. And the story that I had heard was about um, somebody who had gone through an experience of um, actually being uh, arrested and handcuffed and put in the back of a car. And, and I thought about that, and I thought about that love, and I just started boo-hooing. Because we're all the ones that should be handcuffed and put in the back of a car to be taken away, to be imprisoned, because we're all guilty. And it was love that opened up the way. It was love that sent Jesus to this world to walk as a man, to encounter people, to share the Father's love, and then do the ultimate sacrifice and go to the cross. It was love that took him there. And that's what I want to be known as. I want to be known as somebody who's fully encountered that love, who's fully realized, oh, I, was, I am guilty. I sin over and over again. If not for that love, I would be in the back of a car being taken away. If not for that love, I... I, I don't know what the life would be that I, was, that I would be living today. So the phrase that was on my heart as I was in the shower was, Father, reduce me to love. Let me understand and connect with my need for a Savior. Let me walk in the humility of knowing my need. It's not a us versus them. It's not a me versus you. It's not a those people over there. It's us. It's we. It's us. We all need a savior. We all have the opportunity to walk as sons and daughters because of that love. Um, and I've seen, as we've all seen, the division that's happened in this nation. We've seen the division that's happened and is happening in the church. We've seen the figure to finger being pointed in judgment at those people, at them. It's not them, and it's not those people. It's us. We're all guilty. We all need a Savior. Father, reduce us to love. You know... Um, COVID and isolation and all of the stuff that's happened. I, I spoke a message last year about God's splendid goodness. And God's splendid goodness is his intention that he does this sneaky, Jehovah sneaky, I think is what it's called. So all of the enemy wants to throw on us and destroy us and he wants to eradicate this world. He hates people. He hates God's creation. He's against everything good that God stands for. And so he throws COVID into the mix, and he, 
and he throws unemployment into the mix, and he throws division into the mix, so he can destroy people and destroy congregations, destroy communities, he, he destroy the church, whatever he can. He can't. God sits in heaven and laughs at his plans. Everything that the enemy has intended for evil, God is working out for our good. And I have seen such beauty come out of this time. I'm awed by God's goodness that he shows over and over again. And his goodness started at the cross for my life. And it's going to continue on. And so I just ask for all of us that we would just have this, this uh, encounter like Charlie was talking about, we are responsible for our own fire on the altar. We're responsible to stir it up. We're responsible to blow life on it. We, we pursue the Lord. We, he will answer the knock. I guess what I'm most wanting to see and in my own life um, I want to see a life of love where the father has allowed the circumstances of this world to purify my heart to burn up all those things that really don't matter um, one of the things that Charlie talked about about the BSSM students and he was talking about them leaving that greenhouse environment and I'm there's no uh, there's no they bad bad kids or bad BSSM uh, school um, it's only well we can do things better but we often leave our own greenhouse like sanctuaries and coming on Sundays and we haven't been able to for a while but it can be a greenhouse encounter with Jesus and it really the strongest roots are grown in drought. So in many ways, we've been in a season where it's, it's been like we're in a desert. We still have Zoom. Thank you, God, for Zoom, even though we all love to hate it. Um, thank you, God, for um, the small groups that have been able to meet. Thank you, God, for um, phone calls. Thank you, God, for text messages. What? Pantries? <laughs> yep. Thank you, God, for pantries. There's nothing like leaning down into a car window and asking somebody, how are you doing? And connecting with the neighborhood that way. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that in many ways, this has been a desert season, but our roots are growing down deep. I, I encourage you to grow your roots down deep. Come back to the to the simplicity of who really we are about. Let your legacy be the one where you choose to love because you know that you were first loved. So would you, would you just pray with me? You have something. Charlie has something. I'll let him end it. Okay. Well, that was the best part of the message. So that was excellent, Lori. Thank you. So I just want to sum it up a little bit and end in prayer. Um, how do you want to know if you're God-minded? Learn to love well. Learn to give. Learn to receive. 
and Lori referred to it, and I was going to mention it, that we can love because we come to an understanding that we first were loved. And by the way, we need to get past even religious thinking. Ultimately, the, the purest form of love, the only permanent form of love, really does come from our Father. But you know, when we love each other, we are preparing people's hearts to understand and to be able to receive the love of the Father. So when we love each other well, then people learn how to love, and then they begin to resonate with that. And it all flows, as we know, through relationship. So I just want to end and pray on today's thing. And part of me self-feeding this last year has been my utmost for his highest, and I've mentioned it a few times. But ironically, today, I finished the message, and then I read today's passage And I just want to read a short paragraph from it. It is not enough to give mental assent to the fact that God has redeemed the world, nor even to know that the Holy Spirit can make you make all that Jesus did a reality in my life. I must have the foundation of a personal relationship with him. Paul was not given a message or a doctrine to proclaim. He was brought into a vivid, personal, overpowering relationship with Jesus Christ. Acts 22.16 is tremendously compelling to make you a minister and a witness. There would be nothing there without a personal relationship. Paul was devoted to a person and not to a cause. So, Father, we delight in you. We trust in you. We want to join in with you, even when unexpected things happen, even when tragedy happens. Let us have such a deep faith that we can laugh at those circumstances, knowing that you have a plan. You have splendid goodness to bring out of heartbreak. Lord, let us not be so shaken by our circumstances, because we are part of a kingdom that is never shaken, that is eternal and ever-increasing, And, Lord, we want to learn how to allow the generosity of our soul to be given to and poured out to others through that ultimate lens, that focus of love that connects us to your heart, that is an expression of your true character. Lord, help us gather together and encourage and and practice loving well and being leaders in love that we know how to take love out into every element of our life. And Lord, help us self-feed in such a way that our expectation is the person right in front of me right now today is going to have a Holy Spirit-empowered encounter with a loving Father. Father, when we go back to in-person services, let the message go out that every person who comes can expect a personal encounter with you through worship, through your word, through our touch and our love for each other. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And a good job, Lori. I, by the way, she told me it was only 10 minutes. So I left 10 minutes, and uh, now apparently she'll be speaking soon and doing more. God bless you all.